Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by Lauren Bouchard, creator of Bob's Burgers and co-director and co-writer on the Bob's Burgers movie, which is in cinemas right now. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Now, we're a podcast all about runtimes. You know, we, we love being nerds and looking at how long things are or are not. Um, and I wonder, you know, primarily people will know Bob's from the TV series and, and the movie, uh, you know, is coming to cinemas. It's sort of a hundred minutes or so. That's a lot longer uh, to play with in terms of duration of story and how many characters can appear in the movie. Uh, what was it like, you know, knowing that with the movie, you had this bigger uh, book to fill? Well, it was exciting. A movie, I think, wouldn't mean much to us if we were just hardcore comedy TV people. Such people exist. They casually watch movies and and then they love television comedies, their classic sitcoms, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not one of those people. Uh, I I enjoy uh, a television comedy and, and obviously we make one. But what I really like to do with my spare time or with my kids um, and with my wife is to watch movies. I love movies. It's an incredibly gratifying medium. And I um, was excited to, to, to figure out how we could try and tell uh, a story that wasn't an expanded episode of television, but was in fact a movie that checked all the boxes. And the, the runtime was an interesting part of it, for sure. But in the end, it's more about, I think, um, story and scope and spectacle, uh, and your runtime is, is you're gonna be much longer, if you're us anyway. And this is how we make this the show too, um, segueing for a second. Into, this is, here's a little um, uh, sad fact about us. We never, ever, ever, ever are short on anything. We are always um, stuffed and, and having to cut and trim. And it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's a, we're very used to it. Um, we are not precious about it, and and I love the um, constraint. I love the, te- the the constraints of television. Uh, working on television means you're going to be cutting things down to get to 22 minutes. That's the that's the one of your your primary jobs. They are not going to give you extra time, and so you are always using your editing power. And editing is the secret weapon of of good writing and and good storytelling in general. You're always trying to figure out what to leave out. So then with the movie, it was the same thing. We, we tried to tell the best story we could uh, and make it a movie. And then we tried to take out everything that didn't need to be there. I always think it's like, uh, you know, you're sanding off the edges and you're just leaving, you know, the cream uh, for the viewer. Uh, and it's why, you know, a good three hour movie can fly by if it's really well constructed and, and everything's there that needs to be there. And, and why on this show, why we love, you know, really well crafted under 90 minute film as well. Yeah, I love that you're focusing on that. I think it's great. It, it's they, we talked a lot about 90 minutes when we were making the movie. It came up. It was a very, very real target. And the studio uh, in particular had it in mind. 
And when we realized just how important it was to the studio, at first we, you know, I think we got a little itchy. We were like, oh, well, what if, you know, what if this is the perfect version of this movie is 110 minutes? But I'm so glad that they that they had that target in mind and they wanted us to keep filing it down. It, it was it was a in the end, it was one of the best parts of the relationship. How's the burger, Bob? It's okay. I put an egg on it. Why is Dad making a burger at 8 a.m.? Is he on British time? He's making it to bring to Mr. Dowling at the bank. We have a meeting this morning, and we're going to ask for an extension on a loan payment. Oh, fun. And we really, really need to get that extension. All the restaurant equipment is wrapped up in that loan. So you're giving him a burger? Well, I mean, we can't give him money, Tina. Because we don't have any? Pretty much. You talked to her about being a film fan. Do you do you ever look at the back of the DVD box or when you're looking at the movie theater showtimes? Are you looking at, you know, the, the number in brackets with mins after it before you make a decision? No, only since having kids. Uh, you have to do that if, if bedtime is involved. Then then you suddenly find yourself looking at runtime. Uh, it wasn't until we started work on the movie that I even thought about it in terms of other, you know, movies that we loved. I was curious, you know, to see, you know, how long The Incredibles was, for example. Uh, because in particular, we were thinking about the number of characters we have to service. You know, we, we really, really, really insist on, uh, this is for the TV show as well, but especially for the movie, we, we insisted on telling a story that where each character had an emotional journey. Uh, and that just, on some level, that means minutes, you know, you, that's a lot of characters. Um, but we, well, you know, we did it. We got as we got we got as as lean as we could and as full as we could at the same time. I think the joy, especially if there's fans coming to the movie, sometimes just a character having one or two lines or a scene here and there is enough. Like I'm a big fan of Jocelyn, and you know Jocelyn doesn't have a huge arc in the film, but she's in the film, you know, a fair bit. And and just you know one line from her sends me off in stitches. Yes, good. And I should say uh, when I talk about insisting on character arcs, I'm talking about the family members. Um, and Teddy and no one else. With as far as the other characters, the, the the fan favorites, you might say, or the the side characters that we love, the guest characters and the cameos. Those in the end, those some of those got trimmed too. We had a lot more cameos planned. A lot of characters were going to visit this this movie um, because we love our fans and because we love our side characters and we love to see. You know who loves who um so we were ready we were we were gonna put them all in um but we wouldn't have been able to make a, a good movie it would have just been a, a a whole lot of a whole lot of cameos and winks to the fans and and we knew that even the fans would be mad at us if we did one and not the other if we did the if we did the care the cameo carousel but we didn't make a good story I'm curious, when we, we reached out uh, to you about coming on the show, how did you approach that homework? Did you, what, what was the process um, once you saw that email? I was interested in talking about a couple of movies that came out in the very early 80s. And I then went to see what the runtimes were on them. And one is exactly 90 minutes, and that's Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal, based on the fantastical illustrated magazine, Heavy Metal, producer Ivan Reitman enlists the help of some of Hollywood's animation masters to create the otherworldly tale of a glowing green orb from outer space that spreads destruction throughout the galaxy. Only when encountered by its one true enemy, to whom it is inexplicably drawn, will goodness prevail throughout the universe. 
Richly and lavishly drawn, the vignettes of the orb's dark victories include the character voices of John Candy, Harold Ramis, and a pounding soundtrack by Black Sabbath, Blue Oyster Cult, Cheap Trick, Devo, Donald Fagan, Don Felder, Grand Funk, Railroad, Sammy Hagar, <laughs> Journey, Nazareth, Stevie Nicks, Riggs, and Trust. Highly imaginative and full of surprising special effects, Heavy Metal set the standard for the alternative contemporary animation. An intoxicating experience not to be missed. Heavy Metal is part of, I think of maybe, let's say, let's call it four movies that made a really big impression on me. And I think on some level also represent a little bit of a, a missed opportunity in certainly in, in American movie making, but I would say in, in sort of Western movie making in general. And, and that is, these were 2D animated movies that were explicitly for an adult audience, or at least not for kids. It came out in 1981. I was 11 years old and I saw it in the newspaper. I, I had maybe seen a, a trailer for it, um, though I doubt it. I, I somehow just knew I had to see this movie. I had seen um, a few animated movies before, including Watership Down, which I, I think I barely understood as a kid. And I, but I, but it, it made an impression on me. And I'd gone to see The Lord of the Rings, which really affected me. It made an impression on me too. And so Heavy Metal, this R-rated animated fantasy movie. And I remember being um, a little concerned that I wasn't going to be able to see it because it was rated R. And my mother, God bless her, said, I'll take you. So my mom takes me to this sexist, juvenile, like fantasy with, with lots of boobs and uh, probably, I, I want to say, maybe close to no relatable female characters. And I'm, you know, she, and she was a, a terrific feminist. And I don't remember um, her uh, giving me a, a, a critique of the movie on the way home. I don't remember her, you know, going through all the ways in which it was um, so, so, so fatally flawed. And she, and, and she should have and could have. Um, but maybe she trusted me to, to know that that was, uh, you know, that that was there. Um, or maybe she just wasn't paying attention during the movie. All I know is I choose this movie to enter into the film festival, but I make no excuses for it. It is also deeply flawed. Uh, especially from the point of view of of relatable female characters and and lots of other representation issues, it's the definition of kind of like an adolescent boy's fantasy. If that boy really focused pretty narrowly on chicks with big boobs, and um, that's a problem. But it also spoke to the possibility of of the medium. It was at times really a kind of a wild and and sort of bursting at the seams movie. You know, it begins with this sort of rotoscoped thing with, the, you know, the space shuttle and the doors open and a 1960 uh, Corvette Stingray drops out of the, out of the bottom of the space shuttle. And there's an astronaut in, in his spacesuit and he starts basically falling to, towards the earth this you know kick-ass rock song comes on this was during the time by the way of, of laser light shows you're probably not old enough to remember but there was this period when to the these um planetariums would open up at night 
and do laser light shows to you know Pink Floyd or or uh, Led Zeppelin and and kids would go and get stoned and watch these laser light shows and I'd gone to one of those too I was too young to get stoned but uh, you know when you're when you're a kid you you know you don't need to the movie sort of tapped into that you know it was this sort of like fuck yeah kind of like exciting moment and I I watched it again last night to prepare for this and that that moment it still works it's it's weird you know it's it's they were pushing something uh they got something uh, on screen even though it's very odd it's 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 hardly even rotoscoped it's sort of um like a film effect and and yet i i i think it stands the test of time uh, moments after they the the car lands and the guy gets out you know it switches to a slightly less surprising animation style and you almost feel like you're watching a saturday morning cartoon but then right early on this guy gets incinerated by this evil green orb i mean he just completely melts and you right right away again it sort of i i think it it um signaled that this movie a not for kids b really going for something uh, and there are moments throughout where it achieves it in spite of its you know its flaws and and its limitations it it really is thrilling to think that that's what people were trying to do with animation for theaters for these older audiences in the 80s and and I'll I'll go a step further and say uh, they they also stopped this isn't a trend that continued this was an experiment that started with probably roughly Fritz the cat and ended with a you know roughly I don't know 1983 with a movie called Rock and Rule which was a Canadian animated movie and I think uh, I might have been the only one who saw it in the United States or you know there was a few more I guess Cool World maybe but they, they really stopped doing that they the in our in North America animated movies then became for the whole family and that's wonderful and there are some incredible movies and i i don't disparage those at all um but i just think it was so interesting that there was a minute when you know these late night these sort of midnight movie feeling was coming to animation uh and and in a lot of ways it moved to tv and and that's great and that's you know where i got to make my living for most of my career but i i do kind of in some ways have a little a little a whiff of sadness that that those that these movies like heavy metal weren't more successful and and didn't inspire more i think in japan and and in uh, perhaps in parts of europe animated movies I, I don't think i think they continued to make movies sophisticated stories that were for an older audience in animation and uh, but not 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 where i lived do not try to escape you are in my control Look at me. I am the sum of all evils. Look carefully. My power invests all time, all galaxies, all dimensions. It feels so fresh in a way because there's so many ideas on screen and like I say some of them maybe don't hold up great under a 2022 20, lens but the way they tell them in terms of the form and 
I guess it's like for the listener who maybe if you haven't seen it yet, it's an anthology movie, lots of different stories. And I guess they were all created by different animation units, but there is this kind of out there feel to the whole piece. And they share like the voice cast, which includes people like Harold Ramis and John Candy and uh, Eugene Levy, like some amazing uh, the people in there. And, uh, and, and yeah, it was, it was, it really like makes you sit up in your chair and pay attention. Yeah. It's really interesting. I want to say he was the producer, the guy who kind of whose name is on this thing. I don't think he directed each piece, but uh, he pulled it all together. And that's Ivan Reitman, who would go on to make these classic comedies of the time, live action comedies, the Stripes and, and Animal House and, and Ghostbusters. They, they were, you know, they were so big for somebody my age growing up at that time. Those were a huge event. Um, and it's interesting that he was fooling around with animation at that point in his career. And notably, I don't think ever really went back to it, which is a, is a great shame. Also, this has got a, you know, the, there's so many licensed uh, tracks in this and needle drops. It's a, you know, it, is, it lives up to the heavy metal title. We've got Black Sabbath, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, Cheap Trick, Devo, Journey. So many, so many, so many bands that were popular in the 70s and 80s. Uh, did the music speak to you? Uh, did it speak to Young Laurent Cinema? Absolutely. That's a movie that, that yeah, it knew what it was delivering to its fans. There were big tracks in their big moments when the music was all you were hearing and and the images were there to um to serve the music and that is you know that's wonderful it's so cool when it's also this you know powerful ass kicking music that that makes no um excuses and just fills the you know the fills your ears with electric guitars it's thrilling it's thrilling if you're an 11 year old boy um but i i i still think more movies could have that energy. I, 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 I commend them for trying to, to make something with that much energy coursing through it uh, from top to bottom, even though perhaps they, they didn't succeed, you know, creatively at every moment, but they certainly did at, at spots. Music is a big part of, of your work that you produce and, and that you work on. Did, did, did this somehow have an influence on you? Obviously, in a very, Bob's Burgers is way more wholesome uh, than heavy metal, but, but there's a lot of original music in the show uh, and in your other work. Did this kickstart uh, a bit of a musical uh, bit of your brain? It certainly helps. I, it's, it's one of the reasons I, I chose it and, and why I wanted to talk about it. I, I mean, uh, I am also uh, you know, a kid who grew up uh, watching Disney movies and Disney movies have used music so, so, so well. Um, and in, I, and I will tell anyone who will listen, I also am a kid who had the records. So this is before VHS, before, um, movies were, you know, played very often on, on TV. My, my parents had the records of a bunch of Disney movies. So I was listening to them before I saw them. And that, probably affected me a lot. I think of animation as being audio first. And then we the picture comes in to support what you're hearing. You know, I always say that uh, respectfully. I love uh, the people who work with me to um, to draw those pictures and to paint those backgrounds and to design those characters. All of that is incredibly valuable and important. So I never want to insult anyone by saying it's audio first or it's audio centric, but it is to me. Um, it's just how I come at the craft. I'm sure I was influenced by the stuff I saw and heard when I was a kid. And so I chose heavy metal partly because 11 years old and it's like yeah it's big musical numbers that were not cute they were not dancing animals you know they were 
big set pieces that were, you know, either action or fantasy and and the music. And also the score was terrific, too. You know, when it, it wasn't just Blue Oyster Cult. This was also Elmer Bernstein, uh, this like serious composer, gave this great there's this cool motif that kind of plays through the whole thing and and also gave it this like sorry i apologize for that performance but when you watch it you'll 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 be doing it too uh yeah so it was it was the full package and uh you know that is getting back to bobs for a second when we got the call when they said do you want to make a movie it was music that we thought of first we literally said can it be a musical in answer to their question. And when they said, make it whatever you want, we knew that the answer to their question was yes. We had to have music in order to have spectacle. It was, it was then that we added this mystery and, and, that, and, and we knew very early on that that was gonna be part of it too, um, but we were borrowing from musical genres and mystery genres and action adventure genres, and we were um, mixing it all together to, to suit our taste but music is is part of what you're giving audiences that tells them this is as big as we can make it. This is we're going to pull every lever to get your heart rate up. What we like to do at this film festival, our fictional film festival, is of course get the films on a big screen. And as a, a guest programmer who has selected heavy metal for us, is there a, a cinema you'd like us to book for this screening? A, a fantasy cinema you'd love to show heavy metal at? Mm. Mm. This is. Are you saying a real cinema, or I'm making up a cinema? We do seem to have a blank check for this festival, and uh, people have gone beyond the realms of uh, a real cinema previously. Got it. Well, I will say this: this this cinema that I'm imagining is old. The old theaters are are exciting in their own way. It's not just that the spaces are often big, and it's not just that they're you know gilded statues on the walls. Though that's lovely. Um, but I think also there's a um, the older rooms kind of carry a little bit of of the ghosts of all the stories that have been in there before and all the laughs and all the screams. Everything kind of, I think, um, gets layered uh, in the, you know, into the cushions of the seats and onto the walls. A new theater is, is can be very comfortable. The seats are more comfortable and they're lovely, too. But an old theater, to me, makes any movie more exciting but for this theater i would upgrade the sound i would really like those speakers to be not just loud because loud is is that's cheap you don't want loud necessarily i mean you do but you don't want to just do loud you want it to be that full spectrum absolutely ass shaking lows and crisp highs and you want everything to be where the filmmaker intended it if if you know, now that I've mixed one of these things, I can tell you we spent a lot of time thinking about what's in the front speakers and what goes to the sides. You don't just do it willy nilly. You don't just throw things to the side speakers just because you can. You actually try to make it feel whole, but just a little wider, just a little wider than stereo. Um, that's what the, the promise of surround is for me. I never forget that the screen's in front of you, but I, I like to imagine that when you're sitting there, you, it, it's almost like having headphones on, but the headphones are an entire room and you're uh, and you're in there with a bunch of other people. So um, this theater is old, but with a state of the art sound system. 
That sounds like the right way to do this. Let's make a soundscape uh, for the audience. Thank you so much for adding heavy metal to our 90 minutes or less film fest. Uh, we got a, a cool little animation strand, but nothing quite as uh, gnarly, I'm going to say, for, as heavy metal. Uh, so it'll be programmed alongside My Neighbor Totoro, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, Chicken Run, uh, all these great movies. Maybe this is the final one. The midnight screening will end the with mid- heavy metal. This is the midnight screening, and, and we'll have to add some... Um compelling female characters with agency, et cetera. But uh, thank you for asking the question. It was fun to think about. Brilliant. And thank you so much for Bob's Burgers, which is in cinemas right now at the time of release. I'm sure available on streaming and and Blu-ray and DVD and all those good things uh, afterwards. Thanks so much uh, for your time, Lauren. It's been great to chat. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. 